0: And it's another episode here with Wake Up With KC. And today I'm gonna talk about a topic that is becoming more of an awareness. It's narcissism, narcissistic behavior, narcissistic patterns, characteristics. And how do you even know if you were brought up in a narcissistic environment, in a relationship in one, and how do you overcome? How do you change that? Even heal from the patterns and the cycles from it? Today I have Dr. Rita Louise joining us to discuss this. Rita, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. You know, I think uh I loved your intro because I think that's what A lot of people wonder, you know, there is so much awareness of coming forward about, you know, narcissistic behaviors, narcissistic mentality. And I think, um, you know, it's something that I'm going to plant a little seed for maybe later. You know, I feel like young people today are becoming more and more narcissistic. And we can come back to that if you want to, because there, I think there is the pattern with, you know, like what adults are seeing, but I feel like it's becoming even worse with kids.
0: Well, I've always said, you know, if you don't learn your history, you're destined to repeat it. And then I also talk about emotional, energetic traumas. Mm -hmm. Does narcissism sort of, go with the emotional energetic traumas that plays out. And it's like a behavior, a pattern. It's actually an energy on top of that, that keeps, it's like a vicious cycle.
1: hmm You know, so I work as a medical intuitive and energy healer. So that's my day job. And then I like write and do all this other stuff is, you know, I like to say for fun and people look at me weird, but for fun. And... um <laughs> You know, and so in my work, one of my observations of people that have, uh, well, actually, let's start here. You know, people that are narcissists tend to be very self-serving, you know, and they are only looking out for themselves and their self-interest. And so where it becomes a problem is that if you allow them to get you to change your mind, to get you to feed their self-serving mess um, you know and so narcissists tend to align with people that tend to be more empathic um, they tend to align with people that um, are people pleasers you know and have child you know many times you know you have are a people pleaser or a codependent because you've had early childhood trauma you know and so you come to the table with this wounding of wanting to take care of the other person, you know, and the narcissist also has wounding, you know, but the way that they deal with the wounding is different. The person that tends to be, and I'm just going to use empath to kind of mean, you know, sensitive, codependent, people pleading, pleasing, you know, showing the fond response, you know, I'm I'm just going to clump that all into that word. Um, You know, but the empath, when something has happened, they are more likely to take responsibility for what happened in that situation and look for ways that they can learn, heal, and grow and overcome what's happened. You know, so they tend to be like more into self help, you know, or more into. Again, even just taking responsibility and feeling bad and guilty about it. Where a narcissist, it's like they can't do it. You know, they can't, it's impossible for them to self-reflect. And when they do self-reflect, they just kind of look at the surface and don't look at the wounding that's below it and think that they're just fine, you know, and don't really care what, you know is going on with the other person
0: so wow so what are some of the characteristics of a narcissist and their behavior as like their self i want to say self-absorbent or Mm -hmm. self-centered so what is your perception of of them
1: okay you know and so there is the narcissist in general You know, and where it really comes to the forefront is the narcissist in a relationship and more importantly, in a romantic relationship. That's really where it becomes a lot more evident. You know, but people that are narcissists, and I think everybody on some level has met people that are narcissists, you know, and there's two different kinds. There's grandiose narcissists and there are covert narcissists.
0: Can you explain?
1: I'm, I'm getting there. Um, but you know, because they're, they're, they're so different in their approach. Okay. So I have a history and I, I don't care of sharing this. You know, I have a history of getting into relationships with narcissists. Bam. That's where this all started for me. And so, but I never got involved with a grandiose narcissist. Well, all right, not for a really long time. So a grandiose narcissist are those people that are bigger than life. You know, they were the quarterback for the high school football team and they're talking about how great they are 50 years later. You know, they're the, they're punt, you know, pound on their chest and 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 show everyone how good they are, how smart they are, how kind they are, or how gentle they are until they go home and beat their kids, you know. Um, and so one of the things about narcissists, there's what they present to the world or present to you if you are in a not tight, committed relationship and what they show behind behind closed doors, you know, but the grandiose ones are, you know, loud. And I think everybody has had someone in their life at some point in time. That was a grandiose narcissist. You know, they just talk about themselves and again how great they are, um, <laughs> and that's usually the big giveaway. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, he's pretty full of himself. Ooh, narc. Um, the covert narcissists are a lot harder to spot. You know, they tend to seem like they can self reflect. They tend to seem like they have feelings. Um, that they can be emotional. You know, like this one gentleman that I dated, you know, he would get very emotional about things and and cry. I mean, he cried way more than I did. But when I really started looking at it, he would only cry because this situation here that you think he's crying about was actually triggering something from his childhood until really he was just crying for himself or about himself. And really didn't care about this other situation. Did that make sense? Yeah. Um, you know, they tend to be, they can be, uh, you know, they can get on themselves. They can act like they're very spiritual and calm and collective. But again, you know, one of the characteristics of a narcissist is that's the facade they show. Um you know, you hear stories. I mean, this hasn't been my experience, but you hear stories of these, you know, churchy people, you know, where the the father is a deacon at the church and everybody loves him. And he's so kind and caring and sharing. But at home, again, he beats his wife, beats his children, is a, you know, has a drinking problem, you know, and but no one knows it because he keeps it so well hidden, you know, and that's the mask, you know, they they put up this front and make people think, hey, this is a great guy. But the reality is not really. And so and where that comes out and why I kind of say, you know, there is the casual relationships where it's easy for them to keep the mask up. You know, if I only have to be around these people eight hours a day, you know, I can be totally fake. <laughs> It's when you're with someone all the time that it becomes a lot more challenging, especially like you move in with someone or you marry someone. Now you're with them 24-7 and it becomes next to impossible for them to keep up this false front of agreeing or having patience or, you know, whatever it is you needed from them because that's one of the things they do is they look at you and go oh well this is what this person needs and so now you're attracted to that because it's like wow you know i I had this need and they're just really satisfying this need and then after a while they'll just take it away you know and because they really it wasn't really important to them you know and yeah
0: well what about like you know i've had this experience so I, I was just wondering um like where they show kindness and then when you're in need they're right there to help you but then later on they throw it over your head after all i've done for you
1: mm-hmm. um but see you're kind of lucky that they were there and were kind to you you know mine normally i would need them and they would emotionally disappear or get drunk or whatever they would do but it would be like oh i get to deal with this crap by myself or you know i'm having this issue going on and you're going to just sit there and beat me up about it even though what i really need is your emotional support but um I mean, you know, that's just how it manifests, you know. And usually when they do that, you know, throw it out, you know, it is a kind of a one upsmanship thing, you mm-hmm. know, because now I'm better. I helped you with that. I mean, mm-hmm. like my most recent NARC that I got rid of, I did all kinds of stuff for that man. I mean, I could make a list. And he looked at me like, I didn't do anything. And I said, well, you know, I make dinner every day, but I mean, I make nice dinners and I didn't cook every day, but I made sure food was on the table. So whether you call that cooking or not, I don't know. But I also did all this food prep, all the shopping, you know, all the planning. And that was just one of the things that I did. And that would, but, but he mowed the lawn and i was supposed to pay him for it pay him he lived in the house i'm like are you serious i mean there's some really sick puppies i hope you're listening too sorry
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, so <laughs> you have a, a book that just came out this the dysfunctional dance of the empath and the narcissist how did this get created
1: okay so there's the one that i just made the comment about but then there was the guy i dated before that who you know i'm going to be very kind you know because he he had issues okay i'm just going to say it that way and he also had a drinking problem but i think he drank to self-medicate the issues but when it was like Uh, I have to make up a name because I always like, you know, if it wasn't psycho Ben, um, you know, it was like good Ben. And I really loved good Ben, but psycho Ben was freaking psycho Ben, you know, so it was just really challenging. And when he was in that psycho place, he became very narcissistic and, you know, I'm going to say abusive, you know. um,
0: Yeah. They get emotionally and verbally and mentally abusive. Mm -hmm.
1: You know, but how much was his psycho? How much was him being drunk? I, I I don't know. I never got the opportunity to find to separate those. Um, you know, so when I broke up with him, that's when the word narcissism was really starting to come to the forefront. And so I started digging into that. And one of the things that I came to realize was that pretty much all of my really close adult relationships were with narcissistic people. And that my mother was a narcissist as
0: well. So it goes into the female as well. Well, I
1: mean, you know, it's it's a non-gender specific situation. You know, where it becomes more challenging for women, and I see this a lot. I belong to several uh, narcissistic support groups online is, you know, and if there are young women listening, you know, I'm just going to say this to you. Um, Or if you're older, anyone, it's like, don't be dependent on some man for your livelihood. You know, because one of the things that I have seen over and over and over, this has never been my situation, but women that go, they have kids, they stay at home, and now they have two babies, and they realize that they're with a narcissist and they don't have a way out. You know you need to make sure that you're taking care of you you know so you know if you're home taking care of those babies be in school you know have a part-time job work from home something so that you have some kind of financial independence and you're not trapped that's the part that hurts so much there are these women that are trapped because they have nowhere to go no car no money no nothing Oh, yeah. And, um, just don't let that happen if if there's any way possible, don't let that happen to yourself.
0: oh, and it I know that feeling. I've been there, you know, and it is hard, and you feel trapped like I was at home for ten years mm-hmm. an at home mom, a wife trying to take care of the house. Take care of the kids. Make sure they did their homework. If they were sick, I became nurse. We wear mini hats. Mm -hmm. You know? And it's like, I noticed behaviors and I'm like, you know what? I just, I got to the point where I was like so done. And, you know, all the beliefs, because it stems from religion too. Mm Mm-hmm you know, how a woman should be, how she should dress. And, you know, um, she's below the man. You know, mm-hmm. because they got this God here, man here, woman here, then the children. You know, and then the man is the breadwinner, the man is the head of the household. So I'm like, um, something doesn't feel right about that.
1: Well, and it doesn't protect the women. You know, and so if you're in a situation where there's, you know, I mean, emotional, financial, you know, abuse is horrible. It's just horrible, you know, but in a situation where there's physical abuse going on on top of that, you know, and you're in a situation like yours where you're the stay at home mom and you don't have those resources, you know, I don't really get the impression that the church is going to open their door and help you in the way that you
0: you just need to get on your knees and pray. God is in control. He's going to do. And I'm like, I've been putting up with this for like almost 10 years being married to this guy. Are you serious? Like, and then I had this one woman say something, a quote from Ephesians, um, where, well, the woman is supposed to be submissive or submit to the husband and i'm like even though he's being the shit out of you like really something right with that (laughs) (laughs) they take the word literally and i'm like i don't think that's coming from god
1: i don't think so either
0: you know oh but it was holy spirit filled and i look at them like i'm holy spirit filled you're holy spirit filled anybody could write that shit
1: Right. But, you know, if your husband isn't being, I'm going to say, godlike or Jesus-like and is being more devil-like, um, then why should you should listen to him? Yeah. I mean, you know, they just sit there and go, well, he's a man. It's just like, yeah, but he's not a God-fearing man. He's an evil man.
0: <laughs> you know, it's like these, these misconceptions, I call them. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think some of the men that were writing those in copywriting, you know, like they were plagiarism from other writings. Mm-hmm. I think that they they were coming from that narcissistic energy, if you want to call it, you know, because well, it was all about control, intimidation, putting fear, uh, manipulating.
1: hmm You know, but in, I'm going to say more advanced ancient cultures, if that makes sense, you know, the women were in charge. Oh, yeah. You know, and so even though the man might have been the chief, but if the women, you know, the older women didn't like it, it wasn't going to happen because you want to have bread to eat. You better just like not do that. You (laughs) You know, so they had their ways. Of dealing with
0: that and I know I spoke earlier um, about that you know because I study history mm-hmm. and then I, it just because I asked a question and I started questioning everything because being intuitive an emotional intuitive trans medium you know because I channel you know the ancient civilization beings and highly evolved beings I might not understand the language when they come through and speak through me. But it got me questioning, like, where did language come from? How did it begin? How did people communicate at the beginning? Can I just say aliens? (laughs) Yes, thank you, Anunnaki. So here's the interesting part. Because when I started this, the ancient civilization on the Sumerians and whatnot, I came across the Anunnaki. And come to find out, they were like different race of beings, just like, us human beings we have white black asian latin it's the Funny. same with them and there was female there was um nin mm-hmm. who was connected with inky in helping create the human sapien sapiens well i come to find out reading amber Omri's code of law she actually reigned and was the administrator Until he removed her. I'm like, wait a minute. Nenersak was actually alive, living, residing on Earth.
1: She might have been the deity that they prayed to. But I don't believe that she was actually, at that point in time, a corporeal being.
0: Like, like she was she resided and she stayed as the administrator as an administrator back then until Amber Romney removed her and put somebody else in a man. Gee, go no fig.
1: Um,
0: but I found that fascinating because I was like, wow, you know, women did play, you know, especially these, what they called gods. And I'm like, knowing what I know now, I can imagine, what they were thinking when these aliens came from the sky and their little shiny ships. Mm-hmm. Like, Oh God, there's God from the heavens coming down and they wind up washing them. It's a cargo cult, but
1: I'm going to throw out something at you. Okay. So I've written two books kind of on that topic. One is ET chronicles what myth and legend has to say about human origins. And then my other one is called stepping out of Eden that talks about humanity's journey and evolution, where I actually talk about the development of language. Um, But if you look at the mythic record, okay, just in and of itself, we find that there's two different categories of myth. There's what I call old myth, which goes from like in the beginning up to around the time of the flood. And then we have what I call later myth, which is from the flood, and moving forward and so Hammurabi would be in that later mythic period where when you talk about Enki or Tiamat or uh, Macabo, who's Native American or Zeus they all exist in the early myth and so I believe that you know some of our first encounters and where we learned language you know from the aliens was during that first period of the mythic record because if you look at the stories the stories are this god is fighting this god and you know this one has an affair and this one gets pissed off and you know it's always it's the stories of the gods you know it's like sitting there and taking you know a camera into harlem or downtown chicago and you know But you're part of the gang, you know, and they let you in and you can like film it because you're part of it versus when you look at later myth, there's humanity and there's God. And so if you think of the story of Moses, there's Moses and there's God or the um,
0: uh,
1: Trojan horse story, the uh, Elijah. that's that's biblical the iliad which is uh greek you know and so the whole thing starts because uh paris who's a human has to decide which god is the prettiest you know but it's his story you know when you talk about moses or elijah it's their story and god is separate they have an interaction with god but it isn't the story of Moses hanging out with the gods and they're making bread and they're, you know what I mean? Where the earlier ones, it's the gods hanging out with each other.
0: Wow. Well, I think Moses, uh, met up with an alien and it wasn't God, you know,
1: <laughs> come so, on. You know, I think that there's like the biggie God, you know, that would channel and communicate to and get in alignment with. And then there's everything else that they talk about myth, which were not that kind of God. You know, because why would you need like chariots or why would you need the technology that is clearly stated in myth um, if you were omnipotent? You know, I I joke around because people just kind of don't get it sometimes. It's like, so do you ever watch like Star Trek Next Generation? I I always have Star Trek examples. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> no, but I saw. Well, I'm talking that about was, the. My star Trek was with Captain Kirk, you know, uh, and Spock, as in, okay. like, in the 70s. The 70- original. The original. Yeah. Okay.
1: okay. So, but in the next generation, there is a character called Q. Okay. So, not the political Q, but Q, and he's omnipotent. And so, and he liked to torment the captain of the ship, you know, by do, doing inane things. And so there was one episode, I don't even remember what was going on, and he snapped his fingers and he changed into a Star Trek uniform, and there was a mariachi band playing on the bridge, you know, and they were going, and then he got mad and he snapped his fingers again and they disappeared. Now that's omnipotent, you know, to be able to sit there and wiggle your nose or, you know, bat, drop your head or. You know, do any of these things where we can make things appear, make things disappear, send us off into space, you know, create humanity just by, you know, snapping, uh, that's omnipotent. But when you read the stories from myth, that's not what you find at all. You find genetic engineering, you find them making this technology. You know, I mean, there was one group that was responsible for making the vimana. And for making these weapons that the gods carried around. And it's quite, you know, it doesn't tell you how they made them, but it is quite clear that they were manufactured.
0: Yeah. And you know, um, I've been reading George Smith, who in the nineteen twenties discovered the cuneo farm writings. Mm-hmm. And then there is um Zacharias Sitchin.
1: Sitchin. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, Stitchin. Sitchin. I'm always like messing up on that last one. Yeah, yeah, me but.
1: too. I always get them backwards. But yeah.
0: <laughs> and I find it fascinating. You know, The last Book of Inky and then The Twelfth Planet. You know,
1: the, all right. So I was a big Sitchin fan until I was working on my E.T. Chronicles book. Mm-hmm. Um And then i became a not fan like a hardcore not fan i mean he put forward some interesting stuff um all right i'm going to write a note because i want to come back to this lost book angie so in my book you know the extraterrestrials came here for some reason you know and it's pretty clear in the narrative of looking at myths from around the world that they came here, well, first they went to a different planet, but there was a catastrophe that happened there and a war. And so a spinoff group came to earth and settled it. And, um, but why were they out in space in the first place? You know, that was the question. And so according to Sitchin, they were looking for the gold. So I spent literally a month, 10 to 12 hours a day looking for the gold. And I couldn't find it. I couldn't find it in Sumerian tablets. I couldn't find it in anybody's mythic record. The closest thing I could find was the story of the churning of the milky ocean, where they talk about getting Amrita, the nectar of life, from the depths of the earth. You know, now, could that be a correlation to some kind of gold? Maybe. But that was the only thing that I could find that had to do with mining or gold or... You know, and then there's this other person, I'm not, I'm going to be nice and not mention his name, but we we'll talk about monatomic gold and that the gold was the elixir of life. So, again, we have that same narrative. And, um, <clears throat> you know, and he said that they had found this white substance, this monatomic gold in a cave in Saudi Arabia by Egypt somewhere. I forget exactly. And so I mean, I dive deep, you know, and if you're going to tell me something that I can't find references to, then I want to see your source of where you've got your material. And so, you know, he said, oh, well, this uh, archaeologist, he's the one that found it, you know, and, and he called it, it was just four letters because in Hebrew or not Hebrew but Egyptian, there's no vowels. And so it was like, I don't know. I have no phoning skills. So I was calling it Mithka. I don't know. And so, but I'm looking up these four letters trying to find out what it actually translated to. And I finally found somewhere that said that it meant precious metal or turquoise. And this was on an Egyptian site, you know. And I'm, I mean, I'm digging hard. It took me forever to find that translation. Then I find a copy of the book that he supposedly you know, got this source from, and I'm reading it, and he was in Hepshepsuts turquoise mine, okay, Mifka, precious metal or turquoise, in her, her turquoise mine, and found this one chamber that had white powder all over the place. It didn't say it was monotonic gold, it just said white powder. Well, how do you get white powder and make it be monatomic gold when this guy's already been dead for forever?
0: Right. Wow.
1: You know, so, you know, so that's my little warning. And my comment about the lost book of Enoch, you know that it's a fictitious book. Oh, Enoch? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, there are a lot of people that are like, no, it's on the tablets. It's like there aren't any tablets. There's no tablets.
0: No, it it's just like all the other scriptures that you see, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you know, you know, and first and second the the the, the Zelonians, and you know, first and second King and all that other stuff. It's just an author. Okay.
1: But you know, there are a lot of people, I mean, more so in the past that took it as scripture and held it up and said, Oh, it's in the lost book of Enki, and I'm like, yeah, but in the introduction. Enoch
0: or Enki? In- 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 huh? Enoch or Enki? Lost book, isn't it the Lost Book of Enki? Well, there's uh, um, the, the
1: yeah, Lost the- Book. Of- the- yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. the in this, this Zachariah Sitchin one. You know, but not, I think it was in the introduction or in the first chapter, and I swear, because I kind of have a photographic memory. Um, it was like the second or last paragraph that says, you know, I've taken all this material, you know, that I've collected over the years and made it into a narrative. You know, and so people were like, no, it's from the temple. So I'm like, dude, go to the second or last paragraph in the introduction that tells you that it's fiction.
0: Wow. Because I have, let me see if I find it. Is it? No, stage of time. I got George, the Chattelins of According to Genesis. And it looks like this. Mm-hmm. So I it's a little confusing to me because I'm like, huh, what?
1: But see, if you read, read all of his other books, hmm? if you read all of his other books, this is like the Holy Grail of the story. But what it feels like is that he wrote his collection of material and then put it together in a more palatable narrative that people can sit there and follow along like this happened and then this happened and then this happened. Wow. You know, so I don't remember if it was the introduction or the first chapter and it's the second to last paragraph.
0: Well, the one thing that I find fascinating in reading them, I'm like, man, this is like a soap opera with these people, you know, these beings. But that's how all
1: that's how that early myth is yeah. all like. It is all like that.
0: Oh my you know, God. And, I, and I joke
1: around and go, you know, what we find in early myth actually does parallel what you find in the Bible from in the beginning to the flood. But. You can only have one God. And so in order to make it work and keep some of the stories, you had to take all of the myth that had multiple gods in it and get rid of it. You know, Mm -hmm. and so it became a very much abbreviated form. Would you like an example? Because this one kind of blew me away. Oh, yes, please. Okay, so in Genesis on the third day, God creates the plants and trees and puts them on the earth. Which doesn't really make sense because it's not till the fourth day that he puts the sun, the moon, the stars in the sky. So how could you have plants with no sun, moon, and stars? Doesn't make any sense. You know, and so I was like, maybe the days got backwards. You know, I proposed because prior to... The sun, moon, and stars being in the sky, all of life was underwater. That's where all the fishes were and the sea stuff. Then we have plants on land. And so now we also, as part of that sun, moon, and stars, we had life emerging from the sea. So maybe that's why it was done in that order. But regardless, it doesn't really make any sense. You know, why like we have plants and we have the sun and the moon and the stars. However... If you look at myth around the world, there is always stories of some kind of a terraforming event that occurs. And then the next thing is the sun, moon, and stars are put into the sky. Mm-hmm. And so they parallel. And it's the same. It doesn't really kind of make sense. Narrative. Wow. Yeah, you know, that was a big, like, huh. Maybe there are some ties between what's going on in the early part of the Bible and what we find in myth around the world. Kind of that plagiarism thing, you know?
0: Yeah. They all
1: pretty much tell the same story.
0: Pretty much so. And what I find fascinating is that, you know, now understanding about narcissistic behaviors, Mm -hmm. they even had it. They were bad. They I I was, was just like reading and going, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, oh my god, I'm seeing it now. <laughs> like how human mm-hmm. beings are reacting, you know, um with the this separation and division and hatred. Mm-hmm. And it that's how they were.
1: I mean, I think that when we talk about the stories of the gods, we are talking about the elite. You know, we're not talking about the common man. I mean, have you been watched? Did you watch like Game of Thrones? Yes, I did. So, you know, we're just talking about the royalty and that whole thing. You know, so like the king's brother is maybe not going to put up with a whole lot from the king. But that king can be extremely narcissistic to anybody that is of a different rank, you know. And so even with with the gods, you know. There were ranks. There was, you know, the sister of the main god, but then there was like this guy over here that was still a god and was still like part of the demigods.
0: Court. Uh-huh. Because they they mated with the uh, human mm-hmm. female, so they became demigods. Then there was a controversy and confrontations of who got the air to and the title of being able to whatnot. And I was like, oh my god, <laughs> like this is insane. <laughs>
1: It is insane. It and, is insane.
0: And the thing about it is that you talk about the elite, you know, in Amber Rambi's code of law, he had categories, you know, um, the ones that owned property were higher class. Then you got the, I guess, the commoners, that the, the employees, and then there were slaves. So there's like close to 300 laws, and it was significant in what the categories to... Based on where you were at. So I was like, wow, that's interesting. Because now we got the rich, the middle class, and the poor. Mm-hmm. Owner, commoner employee, and then the slaves.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, but slaves back then were not like we seem to think of slaves that were in the South. I mean, they were just more, I'm going to say, indentured servants, you know, and could have jobs and, you know, live a life. But, you know, they just were. Owned. I don't know. It's just a weird concept. Um, But one of the things that I found interesting, and I forget, oh, it was in the uh, Stepping Out of Eden book, was that um, in the Code of Hammurabi, it talks about healers. And there were three different kinds of healers. There was one that was kind of like a medical intuitive that could diagnose. There was one that... um, Cast out demons and did, you know, got rid of spells and any of that, like, you know, witchy, psychic-y kind of thing that was going on. And then the lowest paid and the most, you know, regular were the ones that set bones and made herbal preparations, you know. So of the three levels, they were of the lowest rank. And today we put them at the highest rank.
0: Wow wow and then what happened you know if that would that existed and that was going on then what the hell happened to where you couldn't do any healing and what like the upper two categories so of got suppressed persecuted like when did that all shift in and change then
1: I mean, I would, you know, I like to put my finger squarely on the dark ages, you know, where if you were, if you stepped outside the book, I like to say it that way, if you stepped outside the book, you know, that you were a heretic and you needed to die, you know, and so, you know, and that went on for a thousand years. I mean, think about how much memory is lost by the common people, and it's just amazing that anything to move forward in in Western society through that. um, When you, you know, it's interesting, uh, slightly different story. You know, when I was writing my alien books, um, I thought I was going to be presenting this book to humanity. And the reality was, was that I was really presenting it to the Western European Judeo-Christian mind because Native Americans believe in sky people, you know, Australians believe in sky people, you know, Indians believe in gods that live in multiple level universes. You know, I mean, we're the only idiots that don't
0: believe it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just like, they had the carvings in the caves in these caves that, you know, all over the world. Mm -hmm. But no. That that's it's that book that they continuously to read and believe and don't even like they're so close minded. It's it's beyond me.
1: You know, I live in Texas. And so I have a number of friends that keep inviting me to Bible study. And I'm like, I'm a freaking heretic. Come on. And uh, (laughs) I have other choice words that I refer to myself as, but I'll just use that one. And, um, and so I had this one friend that said, you know, cause I'm like, and I just don't do that. You know, I, I don't do Jesus. He was a great guy. You know, that that's as far as I go. And mm-hmm. she goes, well, maybe you should do some research, you know, maybe you would change your mind. And I'm like, research what? I go, there's one book. I go, how can you research outside of one book? <clears throat> she goes, but there's plenty of people that have written stuff and I'm like, right, but they're all referencing that one book. It's not like this person's writing about this over here and it ties into this or, you know, it's just one book.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's just, yeah. Once you awaken, you never go back. No. You know, and the, and the sad thing is, it's like the truth is inside us. Mm-hmm. You just got to go inwards and let it, like, discover it. Self-discovery, self-realization. You know? And I just, like, have hopes and, and put my positive out there. And that's why I have this show is to talk about this, to get people to start thinking outside the box.
1: Mm-hmm. You know i was just having a discussion so i had a new question come up for me so i was driving and i like listening to talk radio but there it was sunday and so there was and i live in texas so there was nothing on other than um church radio and um and so this guy actually gave a pretty good sermon i, I actually got something out of it i mean because i can't sit there and say that you know, holy words and spiritual words are not holy or spiritual words, you know, if they come out that way. But what I found interesting um, was that before his sermon, he prayed, and then after his sermon, he prayed. And, And I posed this question to my girlfriend. I said, well, you know, his prayer was, you know, dear God, you know, so now he's talking to the big guy. You know, and he like lays out all you know, like have compassion on the people and blah blah whatever his whole thing was, you know. Um through Jesus Christ. And I'm like, well, why do you even have to invoke him? Why do you have to bring Jesus into this whole conversation? It's like you're already having a conversation with God. I didn't get it. Yeah. You see where I'm going with that. It's like now if you said, "Oh Jesus, help me with this stuff," but people don't even do that. They go to, "Oh God," they say, "Oh God," and then it's like in Jesus' name. I'm like, well, okay. See, I joke around. See, I feel like I can say this to you. You know, I'll mm-hmm. tell my girl, like, I have a great relationship with God, and if I need something, I go, I go right to the big guy, and I don't go to Junior. And I go even in your prayers, you're going to the big guy, and then like throwing Junior in there, like you know, is the at or, the end. Um,
0: what is it, dear Heavenly Father? Big guy, know, yeah. Uh, you know, or uh,
1: but it always know, says in Jesus' name.
0: You know, like um, dear Lord Savior, da da da, and I just like. Yeah, i don't need to go to church i, I am god <laughs> i'm a divine spiritual being sexual being inside this human being i just happen to be a female with female parts that's mm-hmm. it <laughs> i'm god experiencing life in this human being you know and it's funny you, you, now i can say this to you <laughs> um, it's funny how <laughs> you ever watch the show lucifer
1: i love that show mm-hmm. oh my god
0: i love did you see the episode where he goes he gets so mad about <laughs> everyone saying oh god oh god he was i can never escape him and he goes and then there's like having sex and he hears a woman moaning oh my god oh god oh god oh my god he goes Even during sex really like it was hysterical and then i started thinking i'm like yeah, we sort of mm-hmm. men and women sort of do call out God when they're about to experience that orgasm, uh-huh. you know? <laughs> of, Like when I saw, like realize that I'm like, "Holy shit, he's right. <laughs> we do." Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, one final thought. I love having these kind of conversations. You know, regardless there's something that you, that I I read and it's so like profound in and i want to give hope you know to others that have you know listened about about this interview You wrote regardless of what happened to a person when they were young they have the power to redefine themselves in their life it is possible to break free of these destructive negative patterns and finally experience the loving healthy relationship that they've always desired and rita you know from personal experience because it's happened to you so i want to encourage everybody that would like to contact you The information um even your book is listed down below so i want to thank you for your time because i know you have to get going you have an appointment but thank you for this amazing experience in this moment in time with you
1: you are so welcome i had a really good time You know, so and just as a little plug, you know, people can get my books on my website, which is soulhealer.com. And there's a ton of articles that are on there for free. Um, I do charge shipping on my books so you can get them cheaper on Amazon. But any book that you buy directly from me comes autographed. Um, You know, if you are a trauma survivor or would like, you know, some counseling, coaching, intuitive insights like, is he really an arc? Um, you know, you can set up a time and schedule a session with me. So that's always, and you can do that through the webpage, but after that, all my books are available on amazon.com, Barnes and Noble, except, you know, the, the regular places.
0: Well, I look forward to getting an autographed copy of your book. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you again. It was a pleasure.
1: I had a really good time. So thank
0: you. Well, there you go. We started talking about narcissists and aliens and religion. We even got God in this conversation. I love these type of conversations. So you got to stay tuned. You never know who I'm going to get on my show and what I'm going to talk about. Until then, see you next time.